welcome everyone to Asian Pacific Voices Radio, where you'll find stimulating conversations that explore diverse topics and stories that impact our communities. I'm your host, Rasha Goel. My guest today is a coffee expert, entrepreneur, and internet personality. Known for his online persona, Your Korean Dad, he uses social media to share heartwarming and relatable content that fosters a sense of connection and positivity among his followers. It is my pleasure to welcome Nick Cho to Asian Pacific Voices Radio. Nick, thanks for being here. How are you doing today? Good, Rasha. Hi. Good to see you. Oh, it's great to see you. So many fun things to talk about today. <laughs> we sure do. We sure do. Well, let's start off talking about your upbringing. So you were born in South Korea, and then you moved to the U.S. as a toddler. So talk to us a little bit about what your early life was like. Early life? Yeah, I grew up mostly in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, it's, I don't know, I always feel like, especially people coming from smaller countries it's like you kind of gravitate toward the capital city right you know like dc is the soul of the u.s and so that's where we kind of went um grew up like pretty upper middle class as far as like you know the neighborhood and things like that are concerned my father was a medical doctor and my mother was originally a science teacher but then you know took care of of my me and and my younger sister as we were growing up and I don't know, like I'd always been really involved in like my church experience growing up. I'm not religious today, but I was back then. In fact, part of my story is that when I was like 19, 20 years old, I thought I was gonna be a church pastor. Uh, that's a big part of like kind of my story, I think. But um, I think that I really, you know, like so many people who see any kind of success in their life, like I can really look back and see a lot of teachers, a lot of mentors. Um, my youth pastors were incredible theologians and intellectuals and people who really taught me to question everything, that doubt is a wonderful thing to explore. And that, you know, the most important thing in, in all of our work and life is really how we take care of each other and how we look to each other, you know, for, for, for help and for assistance and, you know, how, how we can be there for other folks. And so I don't know, in a lot of ways, I think that that kind of really informed what I did in the coffee industry as well as on social media. Yes. And let's speak about coffee. <laughs> uh, we know coffee is a, a huge part of the Korean culture as well. Now, you coffee culture was a, a part of your life, a huge part of your life. And I do want to mention that you co-founded Wrecking Ball Coffee Roasters. So how did you get into this industry? What inspired you? And then what led you to um, co-founding this company? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like a lot of people who do work either like in some sort of arts um, very often, you know, they're the people who like go to Juilliard or something like that and kind of like, you know, Juilliard to me is like the medical school, the Harvard Medical School of of art, like, you know, music, right? I think for most people who are in the arts, whether it's culinary arts or otherwise, I think that we kind of meander and stumble our way into it. And for me, you know, I grew up sort of being like a classic jack of all trades master of none i had a lot of different interests my primary interests were like friends and like social sort of things like you know in high school and college i would hang out with my friends as they were doing their homework and projects and i would just be neglecting mine but i was enjoying their company like that was sort of my uh kind of academic life and so 
like after doing a few years of college and then dropping out because I didn't really know, you know, what direction to go in, had a few different interesting jobs. I sold cars for a few months at a Toyota dealership. I, um, at one point I was working on like a nationally syndicated shock jock radio show, like out of Washington, DC, uh, for, for almost a year. And after doing just this and that, um, I realized that I needed to, to, you know, figure some more of a career path. And interestingly enough, I kind of decided, well, I was going to open a little coffee shop. And in a lot of ways, for me, that represented, to be honest with everyone, it kind of represented me giving up, giving up on like a professional career and kind of going the small business owner route, which to me was like the purview and realm of like my aunts and uncles who, you know, had some money to invest, but didn't really have like transferable skills, you know, or professional degrees or things like that, that they could bring over from Korea. And so, you know, son of a doctor, it's like, why are not I going to medical school? It's like, no, I'm going to open a little coffee shop in the Georgetown neighborhood of Washington, D.C. And so to be honest, like there was a lot of shame that I felt like at the beginning. And then after a few months, you know, realizing that I through online relationships and just through like kind of luck and timing that I found myself part of this. Um, this like subculture of what came to be known as like the third wave of coffee, like this new way of approaching coffee that was different from like your Folgers Maxwell House sort of first wave, different from your second wave, you know, Starbucks and kind of Pete's and, and Phil's coffee kind of thing. And, you know, exploring coffee in a more connoisseurship level, like coffee appreciation, we talk about a lot, like wine appreciation, music appreciation. This was like a burgeoning new sort of area of coffee. And I just happened to show up when this was really taking off and I got to know a lot of people within that. And that was a huge shift for me. All of a sudden I went from kind of like, oh, maybe I should just hide in the back of this cafe, you know, and not really sure kind of what my place in the world or, or how this fit into my life was. And then all of a sudden being on stage in front of thousands of people emceeing events and uh, speaking to crowds of of other coffee experts, teaching them about you know what I've learned and research about science and this and that and the other thing, and so being you know somewhat of like a thought leader in, in the industry in a few short years, and that's when it really kind of hit me. You know, this is the sort of thing I'm suited for. It's like finding finding sort of new things to break through in. Um, new areas to kind of like, you know, ride like surfing and, and see where it takes, but then also occupying some kind of leadership role within that. Oh, I love that. There are a couple of things I want to go back to, but I have to ask you this since we're talking about coffee. So as a coffee connoisseur, how do I know it is good coffee? What is something I should be looking out for? Oh, I mean, you can think of any food, right? It's like, how do you know what's a good sandwich, a good soup? Like, you know, if you think about, you know, a loved one who cooks for you, like, how is that good? It's it's really very subjective. You know, it's it's what you know. At the same time, there is sort of the professional level sort of approach to it, which is really about trying to figure out what people like and what people enjoy and try to, you know, find that. Um I think that in many ways, people kind of overthink this sort of stuff a little mm. bit. I think there's something about the way that we approach a lot of stuff that it's like, well, if that's what the professionals have, you know, like I I have this drill because, you know, like this DeWalt drill. Oh, it's, it's dead. The battery's dead. I can't make the sound for the podcast. But like, 
you know, I'm like, I want the tools that the professionals have. I want to think about it the way the professionals do, but we're not professionals, <laughs> you know? So, so just relax, enjoy your coffee, just enjoy it, you know, <laughs> but keep trying new things. I love that. You mentioned shame. Mm. And I think that's really important, especially being Asian Americans. We have so much pressure. The fact that you dropped out of college, you were a son of a doctor, you know, yes. or, or two parents that were in the science medical fields. How did you move past that shame? Because I feel like that's still a feeling that often does hit a lot of us that still grow up as Asian Americans. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I've moved past it. It's something that's part of us, right? And it's really less about trying to make something like that, like shame, go away. I think it's more about putting it in its right place, you know? And it, it uh, to me, it's a part of my story. It's a part of my upbringing. It's a part of, like it or not, what my parents sort of like, you know, instilled in me. It's not necessarily a healthy thing, that's for sure, you know? But I think that like trying to turn my back on that and, and just say like, you know, you know, be gone. And like, you know, I want to, that doesn't seem as productive to me. For me, it's more like almost staring at it and it's staring at it in its face and being able to like understand its place, especially like understanding how it shows up in my life and some of my relationships over the years in ways that I didn't expect, or maybe, you know, you know what I mean? Like I want to be able to keep an eye on it that kind of thing. And, and that's tends to be the advice that I tend to give for stuff like that. I feel like, you know, the way that we talk about stuff, especially in America, the American context, things tend to be very black or white. It's not about shades or gray. Very often, like many things are true at the same time. And I think that for this audience, I think the Asian Pacific American identity, like being from the Pacific Rim or from, from the Asian continent, our cultures tend to be more, embracing of paradox and duality and things that don't fit together are do fit together because they're true simultaneously. Mm -hmm. American culture seems to have a lot of trouble with that, right? Either you're a good guy or a bad guy, you know, you're for us or against us. You're either, you know, support this, my political candidate, or you're like, you know, you're a bad person, you know, kind of, kind of thinking. And in a lot of ways, I feel like it's our community's role to, kind of reintroduce these ideas of those kind of complexities, nuance and paradox um, into American culture. So yeah, I don't, I'm not afraid of the shame part. For me, it's, it's a part of me that I recognize. I just want to put it in its right place, make it small, put it on its shelf and keep an eye on it. And well, and I, I feel like all these things that you're mentioning right now, you've somehow been able to bring to your TikTok. So let's talk about this because in 2019, <laughs> um, you you launched on TikTok, your Korean dad, um, 3 million followers. I mean, really took off in 2020. And it's been a very short period of time. So talk to me about how you got into it, what inspired you to do it? And what, what's your mission with, um, I mean, is it just for fun? Or, you know, what was what was your intention behind creating this? Yeah, I, you know, I've gotten to meet a lot of other content creators that make content for YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, you know, over the past few years. And I think that for most folks, not everyone, but for most people, you kind of just happen upon virality and, you know, growing an account. What feels like by accident, but it's more, you know, uh, what the business people call like product market fit. And there's a lot of timing that's, that's you know, mixed in there, right? Like there's something that people want to see. There's something about you that people want to see there or the way that you deliver it or bring it to the table. 
And that combination can, you know, with the algorithm and different sort of forces driving things can really drive things forward. I'm, I know that for me, my approach, and I found that this is different from a lot of other content creators. I think a, most content creators that I've met, they're trying to be appealing and entertaining, you know, in, in whatever way that they, they look at themselves and, and see some potential or see an opportunity out there. For me, I really approached it from like almost like a creative exercise. It's like, I am a dad. I am Korean. Um, what do I have to offer the audience? What do I have to offer to young people, you know, in a way that I can feel good about, that they can feel good about, that isn't pandering to some sort of like sensationalist kind of clickbaity, kind of just like, you know, exciting sort of thing, but is in many ways counter-programming a little bit different, being a little bit countercultural in a way that might be able to grab people's attention. So, you know, there's ways of doing anything that is, you know, humble and quiet and powerful in that way if people pay attention to you. But TikTok isn't necessarily a platform for quiet and humble, you know. And so how can I show up? And this in many ways for me is very reflective of the way that I approach my parenting of my two daughters. They're 18 and 20 years old now. They're, you know, technically both you know, young adults. But um, yeah, just, just thought like, you know, what kind of content could I make that would be wholesome that I would feel good about and decided, you know, what if I play the role, the POV thing, as, they, as the Gen Z kids will say, like POV perspective, point of view, as if like almost virtual, virtual reality wise, like I'm your dad and you're looking at me and I'm, we're doing different things, the mundane things, you know, pep talk, you know, talking about sad things, you know, all those sort of varied and, you know, the multitude of things that 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 kind of relationship might might uh, display. And all the while being very mindful of certain boundaries, what I feel like is OK, not OK. And then also looking at certain boundaries that I want to push, you know, and it's been it's been quite a ride. And so now this is my new sort of full time job. Um, you know, looking at other sort of possibilities and things to expand into. But for now, you know, I'm a content creator and I don't, I make coffee in the morning at home. <laughs> and that's the extent of sort of my like coffee work. Well, that's pretty exciting, Nick. I, I can't imagine, you probably didn't, didn't even anticipate or see this coming. I have to ask you this, were your daughters at, apprehensive at all when you started doing this? <laughs> I mean, they are to blame and also, they are the first to take credit for, you know, for me being on, on TikTok. You know, one's a senior in high school. The other one's a third year in college. And, you know, every so often, someone will be like, wait a second, your dad's a Korean dad? And they'll be like, because of me, you know. And, and it's true, right? Like, literally, my daughters are the ones who made me a dad. And, and yeah, and I think, like, people like to ask them a lot. Like, is he like that in real life? And it, it always feels like their response is something to the effect of like, well, you know, everyone gets the two-dimensional version of my dad. We get the three-dimensional version, you know, it, it is uh, sort of him in little snippets, but, you know, it is very much reflective of who I am. I was, I'm terrified of that kind of idea of like, you know, having, you know, this partly grows up, um, comes from growing up in church settings, like having friends that were pastor's kids whose parents were 
straight up abusive or like terrible at home and then having to sort of endure the duality of seeing them out there like that and then the reality of their home life you know really kind of did a number on them and and so you know for me it's like how do you fix that how do you remedy that like the only way is to sort of live a life of integrity the best that you can and and be true to yourself so true yeah so true now you're father of two daughters but i know that you know masculinity and and men and boys the issues around that especially being korean american is also mm. very important to you so what kind of messages or uh what are your hopes when it comes to being able to having more open conversations and dialogue especially for men and boys yeah i mean i think that this is this is a little bit of insight into the kind of mind of a content creator at least for me i guess i can only speak for myself you know so much of the way that media you know, happens is really about people's attention. And you can't really speak to folks who aren't paying attention to you, who aren't listening, who don't have, you know, you don't have their attention. And so, you know, that's where on social media, like things like numbers and viewers and followers kind of thing comes up. Like, you know, I, I like a lot of people, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of like chasing these numbers and things like that. But the fact is that that, that does in many ways represent the impact of your words and, and what you're putting out there. And so for me, it's interesting, like, you know, the insight, the insight, a little like sharing um, openly being that um, I'm trying to think about like what I want to uh, like talk about and when certain things, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand how controversial they might be or how sort of uncomfortable they, they might make some folks simply because it's maybe too far beyond what they've been able to really think about. You know, I think that in this country, in the United States right now, there's so much, you know, that we see in the news that's, that's a result of, you know, some people, you know, wanting to exist and just live, you know, freely and, and happily. Other people feeling uncomfortable with the changes that are happening demographically. You know, this is my country, what's happening to it. I don't recognize it anymore, you know, kind of thing. And for me, like, I have a lot to say about here's what America is, here's what it could be, here's what we've always wanted it to be, right? You know, do we all agree? And here's some ideas about what, like, how we would bring that about. And some of those ideas might be considered a little bit radical by some folks, you know? Like, one of the things, you know, that I'll share here is, you know, realizing, so, you know, Raja, you and I both, you know, we have two different kinds of, uh, at least two or more, and other people sometimes have more, you know, uh, identities as far as like the people and places we come from. We have our collective American identity, and then we have the, the culture of the people and places that we come from, right? And, you know, you have India, I have Korea, you know, we have that kind of duality. In many ways, we're, people like us are made to feel less American than the people who just have that sort of American collective sort of identity. And I would say, I think the opposite is actually true. And I was born and brought up here, by the way, too. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned that. Yeah, but I think the opposite is actually, when you really break it down, more valid. Why is that? It's not so much that we have divided loyalty or something like that. It's that they're missing something. They're missing a part of the understanding. When we say nation of immigrants, then where do you come from? Where are those people and places? And how does that live in you 
in a spiritual way, in a psychic and energetic way, in an emotional way? Like, how do you understand that collective, the difference between that collective identity and the identity of the people and places that you come from? It's not that we're confused. It's that you're missing something. How about what, what if we, you know, we work to sort of re-engage with that, like rediscover, you know, if you're, if your ancestors are from Europe, you know, like re-engaging with that and what that really means. Because when we carry that around, you know, and other people don't have to carry that around, then that's not equal, you know. And we talk about equality in a lot of different ways, but I don't think people talk about it in this way, you know, very much, you know. And so there's a lot of things like this, you know, about, you know, race in, in, this, in this country, about, about gender, about, you know, men and masculinity, like a lot of the toxic stuff that we're seeing right now, you know, I think is really a result of, you know, uh, f- feminism has made great strides, in, you know, for, for women and other you know, non-men, like in the past few decades, you know, and there hasn't been that corresponding really development and evolution and change for, for men, you know, in a way it's like things have passed us by. And for me, it's about sort of like looking at the new kind of context of, of gender and, you know, men and masculinity and sort of like, it's almost like I use this, this analogy a lot. It's like dumping the Lego bucket, all the pieces on the floor, looking at everything that we have, doing like an inventory and then putting back together, you know, a, a new framework based on everything that we know and everything we've have and that we've learned, you know, during this time. And so, yeah, I think that there's so much to say about so many of these sorts of things, finding the right time right forum and, and sort of medium for these things is is something that I'm chewing on a lot lately. So you're not sharing this on TikTok yet, or are you starting to? Uh, I'm starting to think about it. You know, I, I think that like there is, I don't want to say that I'm nervous. I'm, I'm not. I know that this is part of sort of like, you know, the direction that I want to move in. It's just about, you know, it's just like with, again, it's just like with how I think about things with my kids. I think about things very long term. I have, you know, God forbid something, you know, happens, but uh, barring that, like I have time, you know, I don't have, you know, I've never yelled at my children, you know, anytime anything comes up, I think like, you know, what's the right time and place for a conversation about this that's going to really, they're really going to hear it. And, um, and yeah, so, so. That's conscious parenting. That's so beautiful. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't seen a label like a, a version of you know any kind of labeled style that that I necessarily relate to that much either. But you know, it, it, it's it ultimately it's guided by my sort of principle of like you know parents' number one job aside from like health and and safety, number one job is always build trust, never break trust. Mm-hmm. Once it's broken, you can never put it back the same way. You can glue it but it's not the same. And, you know, I've worked to not break trust with my children, you know, their, their whole lives. And, you know, I, I check in with them and they say, yeah, it's so they can bring anything to me. You know, even the stuff that I think a lot of parents might say, like, surely your kid doesn't bring such and such, you know, to you. It's like, no, they, they do. Or, you know, my girlfriend, who's like kind of like their stepmom now, you know, between the two of us, they pretty much have everything, you know, that, that, a young person could need in terms of an older, you know, trusted person. And uh, yeah, so, so that all said, it's, it's, I'm, I'm 
trying to be cautious and be mindful of like things happen in in a sort of like relationship wise like my the audience though it's nebulous and like you know as you've said like millions of people which is you know literally unfathomable um you know in in terms of like being able to comprehend it that i do think about all these things as a relationship between myself and the audience and so i'm waiting for the right time on that level too and as well as you build and as you create, I, I do want to get some tips from you for our listeners, for example, mm. who are still exploring this space. What as you have been building your empire here and sustaining your own brand, I'm sure there were challenges. So maybe one or two pieces of advice you could give to someone who's looking to start or looking to continue to build what they have. On social media. On social media, especially okay. like on a TikTok type of platform. Okay. Uh tough love. Okay, here we go. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Okay. I think that one of the things that our culture has, uh, really fostered is this idea that like I should have, or I should do because I want to, I want to, therefore I should be enabled to do that thing. And I think that understanding what, like that social media audience is that it's made up of children as well as people who are like you and then other people who are very different from you. Like being able to keep part of that in your mind and in your heart at all times is part of being any kind of content creator. I mean, Raja, in your work, you know, when you're doing an interview like this or in other settings, you're having to think about not just your question, you have to also listen to what the person is saying. You also have to be thinking about what the audience is going to find interesting, mm -hmm. right? And like, you know, how's this playing for them? Because this is in front of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people, you know, right? Mm -hmm. Am I right? Yes. You know, and I think that in a lot of ways, especially because these companies are feeding these tools to everyone, like anyone can be, you know, a viral, you know, Instagram star, you know, kind of thing that it does make everyone feel like, well, I, I should, you know, that's, that's, if I want it, then I should be able to have it, you know, kind of thing. And it's not so simple when it comes to things that involve a lot of other people. You know, it really is a question of looking at yourself and like, what am I suited for in this setting? Am I really suited to be a leader of people in terms of messages or content? Am I really suited to be like a clown and like do funny, like, you know, things in that way? Is that sustainable for me? Is that going to be healthy for me? And being able to think ahead, if you want to go get, you know, find success on social media, think about being successful, what it would look like to be successful in the ways that you want, and think hard about the unintended consequences of those choices. You know, I think that too many people rush into these things, and too many people that I've met are successful on these platforms, and they're so confused and so... I don't want to say that they're unhappy because they're trying to focus on the good stuff, but they're, they're very confused and they're not really sure, you know, what this all means. You know, they're seeing all the success, you know, so to speak, but they, they feel empty inside and, you know, I, far be it for me to like impose my sort of pathway on anybody. But I know that for me, I did think these things through from the beginning, even though I wasn't necessarily expecting to, to blow up, so to speak, because you never know what's going to happen. And you have to, you know, in so many ways, you got to think things through, you know, and, and be able to, to, you know, be realistic about yourself and your capability and whether you're suited for this role that you're chasing. Such 
Great advice, Nick. Such such great advice, I think, for anybody to take who's listening. I've got just about a minute left here. Excuse me. Anything else you want to share that you're working on? Anything else that I'm working on? Um, I we have a a a dog that we adopted three months ago, and I'm still trying to get her to like me. She likes everyone else in the family, but when I come into the room, she kind of like runs away, and so that's that's been a thing lately. That's all. <laughs> I'm going to check in with you in three months to see if there's any progress on there. Well, I want to thank you, um, Nick Cho, for being here with us today. Where can people find you? Um, Nick Cho, N-I-C-K-C-H-O on most platforms on TikTok. It's your Korean dad on YouTube. It's your Korean dad. Excellent. So make sure that you follow him. And also for our guests, we would love to hear from you, our valued listeners. If you have any suggestions or topics for guests, please do reach out to us. And don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Asian Pacific Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our Asian and Pacific Islander communities with a voice through media arts. So if you would like to contribute or support to our program, please do visit us at AsianPacificVoicesRadio.com. I'm Rasha Goel. Once again, thank you for listening. And Nick Cho, thank you for dropping by and talking to us. And please do join us for another week of another exciting episode, Asian Pacific Voices Radio. We'll see you next time.